Decorating Pages is a podcast dedicated to taking you behind the scenes of the designs of your favorite TV shows and films. Each episode, I'll be sharing design stories from some of Hollywood's most famous sets, interviews from set decorators, production designers, directors, and actors about creating the look of TV and film, about their design inspirations, and stories that take sets from page to screen. Hello, and welcome to Decorating Pages. I'm your host, Kim Wanup. I think... I think we're going to be back to work soon. I think. I think I am. I don't know. I think I'm hearing grumblings of some testing going on and getting things into gear and the studios are coming up with plans. You know, fingers crossed. I can't really look at any more of these Facebook group posts and, you know, thank you people who are posting, but there seems to be so much discrepancy and then it just causes more questions that I just, I'm stopped looking. Sorry. Only because I don't know what's true and whatever someone's experience seems to be on one project probably isn't going to be the same on another, Uh, especially with, I think, the studios doing things differently uh, on on each of their own lots and, and such. I know that the prop houses for set dressing, each of them have their own guidelines. Nothing is like across the board, really, so... You know, it's just going to take a lot to get used to, I think. But I think we're all going to be back to work pretty soon. Uh, Until California shuts down right now. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Yeah. So, fingers crossed. New York, good luck getting back to work. Atlanta, I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. But um, I think it's going to be soon. That's all I can hope for. So what's one up watching this week? Well, I went away for the weekend-ish. We went to the mountains, went to the, <laughs> went to the sequoias, and we were one with nature with masks on. So that was cool. It was gorgeous. I mean, it was magnificent, and I had never been there, and it's gorgeous and oh, breathtaking. So I'd have to say my TV was tailored by that, my TV consumption, but... You know, once again, I impressed myself with what I've watched. I watched a documentary that's on Amazon called The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille, which is about a, two guys who, in the early 80s, heard stories of when Cecil B. DeMille, or his original Ten Commandments, which came out in 1923, when they went on like location in Guadalupe, California, which is like north of Santa Barbara, and they built this gigantic set and the pharaohs and all the sphinx and everything, when the shoot was over, they just left it there. <laughs> they like buried it in the sand in these dunes and just left it there. So it was, I guess it was like a thing that people, film buffs, talked about for the longest time. And, um, but it's true. So in the early eighties, him and his friend set out to like excavate all of these sets and almost, it took 30 years for them to get like a permit, which I think is ridiculous or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Well, permit and funding. It's, it's those two, but it's a really fascinating little back and forth of Cecil B. DeMille's career and the struggle of these people to excavate this set. 
so it was good. I, I recommend it. It's a good little watch. Um, I think it's really mean that that production left that set there. Um, and there's like pieces and plaster all over this beach uh, to this day, I guess. So, yeah, The Lost City of Cecil B. DeMille. Oh, it's a good little watch. I'm on The Crown Season 2 rewatch, which, oh, God, I love that. I love that one episode in Season 1 of when Churchill gets his portrait painted. It's just really spectacular acting, I think, by John Lithgow, which also he's in Perry Mason, which I'm watching, which is also so good. Um, but he's such a great actor. I mean, I feel like I've been in, not in love with him, but appreciative of him since like Terms of Endearment or um, World According to Garp. I don't know why I was watching that when I was like seven. I don't know. But yeah, the the crown is, you know, you know my feelings. I rewatched Moneyball. I don't know why. <laughs> it was on Stars, and I don't know. It just felt like getting out of it. Maybe I needed a sports movie. Maybe I'm jonesing for some sports here. Maybe I needed some Brad. I don't know. Don't hold it against me. Um, but my husband and I did stumble upon this one film. I think it was on Stars called The Professor and the Mad Men. And I didn't know this story. First of all, I didn't even know this movie was made. There's so many movies made now that I don't know if they're going directly to Netflix or whatever. But it's got Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. Oh, I never heard of it. I, I don't know where I am. But it's about how the Oxford English Dictionary came into print. It's a fascinating story of the passion of, like, people to document our language, which is a huge undertaking. I mean, think about it. Think of all these words. So they came up with a system that people would send in words to help them, um, to help them define them, because we have so, it's just a vast amount of work for this little group of people to do. So one of the people who wrote in to really help them was this surgeon, but he was in jail for murder. And that's, that's Sean Penn. I like the story. It does kind of drag on and Sean Penn does go like really into his role. Like almost like I am Sam deep. You know what I mean? It's kind of distracting. And I think Mel Gibson, he's got this huge beard or something going on. And that was distracting too. But it's set in the early 1900s. Sets are, you know, really good. I thought the lighting was really good. Um... I don't know how I feel about Mel now, so I, I was kind of like in and out of it. But a really good story. I don't know. If you got time, The Professor and the Mad Men. And if you're not watching I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the documentary on HBO about the Golden State Killer, get on it. It's so good. I mean, I'm really into serial killers. I'm so sad that Mindhunter is gone. But uh, Golden State Killer was a, a serial killer in the 70s and 80s in California, and this writer, who is also like a crime solver enthusiast, Michelle McNamara, um, did years of research in trying to find out the identity. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers on that, but she was also married to Patton Oswalt. So it's a good, it's really, it's really sad. They interview all these women who were 
raped and the poor husbands and people were killed. It's just really sad. Ugh, hate to end on that. But yeah, that's what one up watch this week. This episode is very special to me because I speak with production designer Jane Muskie. The films that Jane has designed have influenced me more than I really knew. Going back and like rewatching some of these, it just made me just revive the passion and excitement and my love for films. Her films include Raising Arizona, Young Guns, When Harry Met Sally, Ghost, Glenn Garrigan Ross, City Hall, Devil's Own, I mean, Manhattan. I mean, it goes on and on of how many films just influenced me. Uh, Boomerang, I don't know, all of them. We talk about her start as a scenic designer, meeting up with the Cohen brothers to start her film career, giving great advice about set atmosphere. She's a real, she's just dynamite in that. Her recent season of Murphy Brown Reboot, designing that, working with DPs like Barry Sonnenfeld, Dante Spinotti, I mean, working on such recent films as Hustlers and got to talk to her about Ghost and how I never knew that some of it was shot in L.A., um, the classic sets of Glengarry Glen Ross, and then I pull everything I can out of her about raising Arizona. I'm going to tell you now, I giggle like a schoolgirl way too much. Uh, you can hear my nervousness. I like rapid fire at some point, just trying to squeeze every drop out of her about raising Arizona. That got kind of embarrassing. Um, so I hope you can tell how genuinely in awe I am of her and her work and feel so lucky that she gave me this time. Um, just hearing about her experiences, her strengths, I'm just, I'm just in awe. So I hope you enjoy. Because I just, I, I listen to podcasts and I think that I'm, obviously there's this huge audience of people who want to know like behind the scenes work and everything. And I don't think that our world gets enough credit as what really goes on and what it really takes to get it, you know, on the screen. And so yeah. I thought, well, this is an easy thing. I got enough friends. Like, I got I could, yeah. I, I could teach myself some programs and, um, you know, get this going. And uh, miraculously, somehow, I've I learned how to, like, use these programs, which I constantly mess up. And, like, I've lost one or two uh, interviews <laughs> and had to recover. Oh, that's but... okay. I was going to say, if anything happens, just call me back and we'll do it again. Oh, I, I, believe I, me. I, I, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> I, uh, I have, like, a backup. I, like... I, 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 it's actually recording on two different things. I, that's how paranoid I am about it because I've had it happen yeah. or like, oh, the mic didn't work on mine, but it worked on someone on, on the other person. And so, but, um, I just really thought this is a great little like output for all of us to really talk about things. And then, um, and then okay. I got, I got married and then I got pregnant and then I have sort of tried to only 
do one show a year. Like that's my plan. Yeah. And so, uh-huh. so maybe doing this the other half of the year um, is kind of, and I really enjoy it. And listen, I mean, I'm talking to you, which I would never <laughs> have the balls to like, <laughs> like reach out to you. And, and that's like incredible. And the, the people that I've talked to and, and how much we all sort of have in common and, you know, it just, it's just nice to talk about it sometimes with people who know your pain. So, yeah, yeah. so, um, and then with this pandemic, uh, it's sort of been like, well, listen, people, you got no excuse. You can give me a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you have time. I actually, I have, actually have a request as you do these. I'm pretty active in the, on the East Coast now with setting up a mentoring group to try to get more people of color into the unions. Oh, great. Oh, that's So fantastic. at some point, please reach out and do a whole thing on black set decorators, black designers. Yes. You know, because um, I think that, I think that what's happening is that we're realizing that because some of them may not be on the radar as much. I think now is a time to highlight them and, and, uh, and Hispanic designers and everything. So yeah, quite a nice group in New York that we put together. And I know 800, has been pretty active too, getting it together. So just to put in your thinking cap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy how the last couple of years, <clears throat> you know, with, I'm seeing so many more women, I'm working with yeah. so many more women and um, working, you know, and, and I and I think, yeah, it it draws attention to it. We all sort of open our eyes a little wider and then, we're like, oh yeah, that doesn't happen. We why doesn't that happen? And that's dumb. Like we should be doing this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's just just to throw out there. <laughs> oh yeah. I okay. think I think one thing that everyone we all have in common is like what what drove us to get into this. Like, did was it a passion? Uh-huh. Were you were you a film person and wanted to be in this business, or do you did 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 you stumble upon it? Well, I actually, going back to our New Jersey high schools, I, I came out of a pretty formidable high school program where the arts were valued. I'm talking back in the uh, late 60s, 70s. And I was lucky enough to be in a high school that had one of the first art um, advanced placement art programs in the mm. country. And along with that, there were a gang of us that started designing all the plays and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. so that was really that was really sort of where it started in a, in a you know that corny old way you know and when I was applying to colleges um I was a very good you know I was planning to go into sculpting and some other you know side things and but the schools I was applying to I got in as a sculpture major BFA fine arts major wow. but then one school that I went up to visit Boston University when I went to the visual arts interview for my, you know, college interview, the head of the visual arts department looked at my portfolio and said, you know, you have all of these drawings and slides of your shows. <laughs> she, she basically almost hit me in the head with a hammer saying, you know, you can do this for a living, don't you? <laughs> so she was the first person that she basically called the head of the theater program at Boston University the theater division and I was only up there for a day and she got me in to go meet with him right away 
and I showed him my portfolio. I, you know, did the whole song and dance, and he looked at me. So we'd love to have you come here if you want to do it. And when I walked into that theater, at, which was this beautiful grand old theater, the youth theater had forever. Um, I just, as soon as I met this guy and looked at this theater, I thought, this is it. This is it for me. Wow. So I, I started as a scenic designer in the theater first. Mm. And when I got out of school, I did the normal New York route of trying to find off, 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 off Broadway, um, uh, off Broadway, off Broadway, you know, and then assisting when I could. Um, wasn't always the best drafts person, so <clears throat> it was hard to find. A lot of the assisting assisting work back then was just drafting, 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 which it still is. But I did uh, have a great scenic art training, so um, I ended up getting a lot of work on the side as a scenic artist for years and as a renderer. Um, and so that kept me going. And then I was designing a summer at the Williamstown Theater Festival back uh Oh boy, I guess it was mid eighties or so. I should I should have had all the dates for you. <laughs> and I got a call. I had started doing in New York these after school specials. I don't know if you remember. Oh were, yeah, there was a gang of us. It was me, Howard Cummings, Richard Hoover, Win Thomas. I mean, a whole gang of us. That that's how we sort of got introed into the idea of. I mean, I watched them all. <laughs> yeah, was doing these after school specials and. So in that, we started meeting, all of us started meeting producers and production managers in a whole different industry that we, all of us were theater people. We had no clue what was going on. And so out of that, I met a, um, a great production manager who, who then became a producer named Mark Silverman, um, who asked me if I'd meet these guys who had a film they wanted to do. And they were very, as he said, they're very interesting guys, but they're a little quirky. And I, and so I said, sure. I said, but I'm up at Williamstown and I can't leave. I mean, cause you're, you work 24 hours a day. I said, I just physically cannot get to New York. And so he called me back. He said, well, they said they drive up and meet you. And I said, great. Come to come up. I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? So, Mark um, told me what the story was about. This is before you could email and do everything. So he, it's not like I could get a script in time. I think, right. I think I, they mailed one that came maybe an hour before I met <sighs> with Ethan and Joel. So it was Ethan and Joel Cohen shows up and we spent, you know, quite a few hours talking, just sitting on the grass talking about Blood Simple. And I had, in the meantime, sort of knew what the story was about. So I hit the Williams Library during my off hours and hit, um, you know, just tagged a bunch of books because I couldn't color copy either. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And I just kind of started showing them some ideas. We started talking and we just hit it off. And so that was it. It was like once once we were done at Summerstock, I was headed to uh, Austin, Texas. And that was the beginning of my film career. <laughs> so there you <laughs> Isn't go. Isn't it crazy how, because uh, we just all just jump in a car and let's just go to a, go somewhere we've never been. And let's just, you know, make a movie. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of insane. Well, back, then, back then it really was that. I mean, because you were, you spent more time on the road than based in New York or LA at a soundstage, mm -hmm. you truly were on the road all the time because you went to the place that the film was about, you know, and, and right. you built a few sets in that place. But 
I lived on the road for years. I mean, it just, I was everywhere. Yeah, I and, was looking, um, it looked like you, like, location-wise, you were all around for, like, 10 years almost, just, yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. and, and uh, it was, it was a great time because we were all, you know, we were all just sort of young, energetic, young filmmakers and meeting these different crews in different parts of the country that became your best friends for life and um you know it was a really nice time because you had an introduction into and they were also interesting films so the locations were interesting you know the quirky people or being in santa fe and learning more about you know the american indian and hispanic america and whatever you know it's sort of like i was given a gift along the way with all this um so it was a lot of fun all those years. A little tiresome and a little lonely, but you know, mm-hmm. that that's what it was, you know. Well, that's the thing too. You're you're on the road, you just work. There's not it's yeah, not like yeah. they've it's not like it's sometimes they've got you and you just yeah. work and sometimes well, you want to. And it was work. also they they could work you a six day week, um without uh, without overtime. I think it was based on a six day week back yeah. then. So, you know, it was it was yeah pretty sure it was because a lot of it was still non-union um you know there was much more non-union filmmaking happening then and then it became this monster of the entertainment business you know as Um, you as you start in those projects and start to expand a little bit and get another job another job do you try to um still use every dollar of the budget do you know i mean like because sometimes you get like a passion project or something and you're like, well, we're gonna, we're, we're only going to have this amount of money. And do you fight for more? Or you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> like I'm just, <laughs> it, it truly depends on the personality of the project because like a few years ago, I did a, an adaptation of the seagull that Stephen Karam wrote, which was beautiful. And oh, beautiful. Michael Mayer, yeah. yeah, Michael Mayer, um, was a good friend of mine he was the director and we'd worked together before and tom hulse was on board the cast was stellar i mean everything about it was absolutely perfect but we only had five million dollars to make the whole movie so that that's the kind of movie you can't go in and say wait a minute this is russia you know, right like, right like, whatever because i knew in 1904 no money, so so i knew i knew they had no more money and we had to figure it out so i never challenged that i just basically set a parameter saying this is what i can do right. and that's when you really work hard with the location department because you have to solve 50 percent of your problems through the choice of locations right um so it, it worked out i i think um things like that you end up with a smaller department um and that's tough because then everyone's just trying to just stay afloat with the hours and things like that yeah. but um you know, it, it works out, but then there's other films I call their bluff because I, um, you know, I know the DP they've hired and I know what that package is going to be, and what right. that grip is going to be and whatever. Right. So I, and in fact, I tell young designers a lot, I think they give up too easily because, um, with the rates and some other stuff is it because, you know, there's so much money in some of this stuff. And I even tell directors now, cause they, you know, the, a lot of directors get walked on on a lot of productions now by the, you know yeah the, yeah <laughs> yeah no. and um 
if they're a young director, especially, I say, listen, you've been budgeted for 14-hour days. If you only shoot a 12-hour day, tell them you want those two hours put in the bank, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and it's just things like that that I think um, there's a trickiness to it. And I value having a long career out of New York that there are line producers I love because I trust them 100%. And that to me is a great ticket because if I get on a film with one of them and, you know, a lot of us have known each other for years now, there's, there's no sneakiness. There's no, you yeah. know, well, I'm sorry, you can only have one on set or that, you know, so I value those relationships and I, I, I always hope I end up on films with those people. Yeah. The, da um, the dance that we have yeah. to do sometimes of just playing this game with budgeting and money and, and, tightening up when you don't really have to mm -hmm. and the stress that it causes people and it's such a game I yeah i mean i think i think that i think that the whole thing of the three and four cameras and constant rolling or constant you know turning yeah. on the camera you know half to three quarters of that is just on the floor and that's a tremendous amount of um, my, my big beef when I come on is I say, lose one of your camera crews. If, you, if I don't have money to build the set you want me to build, lose one of your camera crews for three weeks yeah. and pay for the set. And I actually got on one film, we actually, I can't remember which one it was, but we actually did, did look at a calendar with the, um, producer and the, you know, the producer associated with production and the line producer and the producer and I went through the shooting shooting schedule and figured out when they could lose a camera package and it was a great exercise we ended up with it's a lot of money it's to a carry lot of those money packages. yeah it's a lot and, it's equipment it's people it's you know well it's also it's overburdening the set with the camera people tend to act like they own the set sometimes now. yeah it's and, a whole different they're, world. They're, they're not enough. nice to the onsets. They're not nice to the decorators. Um, I'm not saying everyone, but I'm saying there's an attitude out there that yes. is is start starting up that really has to stop because you're operating a camera that's a whole different thing than decorating a complete movie. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. So somehow I think that uh, the art department has to posture itself, you know, without being bitchy, but keep posturing itself as to what it really is. It's controlling, you know, a quarter of the budget of movies sometimes. So, um, you know, I think, I think that that's something that I'm, I'm seeing on sets more and more. And I, I, I it just, just drives me crazy. Well, yeah. You know, when they're pushing the onsets around going, hurry up, hurry up. And then you find out there's a fourth camera, not even, not, not, a, even not a different location. They haven't sent, sent anyone with, you know, and that's when I get mad because I'm like, listen, I'm responsible for how this is going to look in the end. And if you start sending people off to shoot whatever they want, that's not going to help any of us. you know. And then the director's going to look at me when they're trying to cut something saying, what the hell is that? Right. <laughs> I, I, I always get into the like moving it for camera. You know, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. much more tv based and it's and yeah it it's the courtesy is gone that there is some respect that has been lost somewhere along the line of of the set yeah. and it is so important to have that onset dresser for protection because we're not there yeah. every minute and yeah. so uh yeah that i i've had many a conversations of like can't you move the camera 
can you just move the camera? Yeah, yeah. Like, why do we have to move well, all of this? The other <laughs> thing is the poor onset. You know, if I'm not there and I'm the first one to yell at anyone if they're overstepping their bounds, and I'm fair, I'm not a dilettante. You know, I just sort of say, can't do that, you know? Yeah. But if the poor onset is alone, and it's, you know, some location two hours away, they'll call me up saying they want to da-da-da-da-da. And I said, no, they can't. <laughs> you know, so let me talk to the AD. You know? right. So I call the AD or something. But they, they take the brunt of so much because they're being used. Um, they're not being used for what they're really meant to be used for half the time. And, and then if they get sort of if an onset, like a film I finished recently, the onset was great. And she was just... Uh, not treated well a lot of the time. People mm. say, well, she's arrogant. I said, well, damn right she's arrogant. She's mm. protecting me. Protecting. You know? yeah. And and they, they really gave her a hard time. And it, it, it wasn't sexist. It, it was more like a, you know, I, I don't know. It was just an attitude. And I didn't appreciate it. So well, most of the time, 80% of the time, everything's great. It's just, you know, and TV, unfortunately, I think TV has killed a lot of the protocol. Yes. Yeah. Because jump in the pot. Hurry up. Just hurry up. It's hurry up. And hey, listen, on Veep, we shot like 70, 80 page scripts for a half hour. Half Mm -hmm. of half of what we shot was never, never even seen. And yeah. And that stress of getting 40 sets, done, you know what I mean? And then yeah. the on, and yeah. doing five or six locations a day sometimes, the onset is just running and running and running. Yeah. And they're moving their equipment. They got to move from location to location too. Like, it's such a lot. Um, and I, I really agree with you of, I think TV is probably the reason why the respect is sort of, getting lost of the art department yeah and it's it's just it's a shame because yeah we're yeah. vital we're vital <laughs> i mean i know the camera's <laughs> vital too i know we're all spokes in the wheel to get this done and the grip is important like everybody's job you know it's all important but i gotta say i think we're we're kind of yeah. tops and that arrogance sometimes that the camera people have i completely agree with you <laughs> like and I don't, and sometimes it's not an arrogance or, or it's, it is like they're their own little group that I never can infiltrate. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it, it is. Yeah. It, and it's funny too. I always say that you can tell uh, like who is who on a, on a crew by like what they're wearing. And you can always mm-hmm. tell, I feel like you can always tell the camera people. They're just like, they've got the better like you know, the, the a little their style's a little bit better, but it's still like grippy because they gotta be like <laughs> they're still relaxed, yeah, but yeah. they're a little bit up and. But yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah. And, um, yeah. it's it's nice to hear that. that well, the whole you're in I the think everyone's just gotta know that they've just gotta keep fighting against it, and then you know, you know, and uh, I always just tell everyone slow down because a lot of the times it's useless energy, and you know I think. TV people are so used to having to rush as fast as they can, which, you know, that's part of the art of making TV nowadays. But I think that once you come to a feature film where, um, you know, there's a little more space that's expected for reflection. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When people come to those projects, they have to learn to just take a breath and slow it down. You've, you've done some huge 
pilots for TV. I loved Smash. Our, our, um, ah, I, 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 I really <laughs> liked that show. I was all in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> do you like designing TV or it doesn't, I mean. Yeah, I actually do. I, I, I did a full season for the Murphy Brown reboot because Diane English is a great friend and who would who wouldn't want to work with Candace Bergen, you yeah. know, and that, oh that God, team, yeah. you know? So that was my first time actually doing a whole um, season of something, uh, which I, I don't think that that experience is perfect for me, but I would not do, I'm, I'm not a television designer that would do season after season or whatever. So I've always chosen to do the pilot because I always find the pilot is when you really get to sort of dig in and figure out how give give it a personality, you know. Yeah. Um, the pilot you usually get the better director. At, not better, I shouldn't say it that way. You usually get the director that's the one that they're they're going to set the tone. A producer or someone. Yeah. yeah that it's yeah. someone they're really paying paying and banking on to sell sell the idea. So you end up with some really really good directors. I think I do commercials too, which I like. But I hate commercials. <laughs> I hate commercials. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've only done uh, like maybe six or five or something, and I just feel uh-huh. like I'm so insecure when I do commercials because I'm like, I don't really know what my job is here. Like, am I getting greens? Am I getting? Wait a minute. And then, like, once they start shooting, they don't need me anymore, and. Yeah, I, and then I kind of feel like a buyer, which is fine. I, I mean, but yeah. I uh, I get I'm super nervous on on, on commercials, but it's great money. Yeah. It's great money, so yeah. I like I like the money. I just don't really like doing them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you know I like I I've always done commercials, and I like just that whole different rhythm that that I have to have it looking and spending mm. the time on a moment that's like you know overkill but you have to do it it's such but a also, different sometimes eye sometimes there's good travel you know you're yeah. traveling some pretty neat places but um it's you know a... and also a lot of the commercial world you end up with really good dps yeah which is my favorite thing on earth you know yeah have a good dp yeah with, with you know I, I was gonna ask you with the seagull when you had i mean it was shot by candlelight right that was your sources. Did that quite a bit of it? Yeah, yeah. Did, did that yeah. affect a lot of your color choices in there? Um, I think the saturation had to be a little deeper in the main room of the house because we knew quite a bit of that was going to be candlelight. Mm-hmm. Um, but not. I think it was. I guess it did in a way because there was a lot of deep wood and a lot of deep dark wicker like things yeah. that would really reflect but be be very luscious you know so i think that's that's probably something that was that i did you know just knowing it's going to be this flickering and you know and matt he's such a great dp he had this gizmo he rigged that was um it looked like a can- candelabra split in half <laughs> and it was just oh, wow. like, it was just this this rig where he would have candles like stacked one after another like a wedding cake and it was um it had this long handle and you know his his uh grip would carry it around and put it near someone's face or whatever and, oh God, and we you know and then we spent a fortune on triple wick oh. candles oh my god i've had to so. do that they're so expensive yeah. 
Yeah, but they're they're worth it. I mean, they. they and then your uh, onset needs like yeah. I need I need like a couple boxes in case we run oh, out. Like, believe me, that I had the candle budget was probably yeah. more than the decoration yeah. budget. <laughs> yeah, well, that was but... a, that was a beautiful house. I was, oh, yeah, I'd like to yeah, I'd like to was... <laughs> take a vacation there. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and actually that that place is just north of New York, and we had to be in the zone, and we literally I think we're right on the edge of the zone. Um. And it was a house that I, when I was growing up, my family's Russian. Um, and when I was growing up, I told the location, the location scout was out looking for places. And we picked an area because we knew there were these lakes in that area. And I said, you know, there's this place. When I was a kid, we used to go, it was called Arrow Lake. Mm-hmm. And it's a Russian sort of commune. It's like where all the socialist Russians back in the 40s would have their you know, summer breaks and whatever. And that was that place. So the Catskills for the Lake. Russians? <laughs> yes, it was Catskills for the Russians. And um, that that's where we ended up shooting. And it was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. See and that? it was still the, the woman I met who was still sort of managing the place knew my cousins when my cousins went there when they were little. So it was, it wow. was quite a time. And I had my cousins come up and, and, uh, and their girlfriends because it was a Russian cultural camp with the FBI parked outside and um, <laughs> all the kids and the, the grandmothers, the grandparents would watch the kids during the week while the parents went in to work at the factories in uh, Brooklyn and, and Bayonne, New Jersey was where my family was from. And um, the kids, when they were up there, they not only swimming and fun and they'd have teenage dances and stuff, but with the rich camp, they called it Limco park down the road, which is where all the rich Polish and Russian families went. And um, that's where my cousin met her husband. Um, but they, they would have cultural dancing and tons of food and whatever. My, my cousin is still like gets a tear in her eye when you talk about this place. Cause it was such a wonderful Aww. thing. And so being there was a treat for me. And, and um, it was so beautiful. That lake is, we, we would just swim every day and, you know, take a lunch break and just swim, you know, it's just oh, incredible. Yeah, it looked- and we all lived there too. That's what was hysterical. Everyone <laughs> lived. that's one of those movies that's one of those movies that you could probably make a movie about making the movie of like yeah (laughs) well you know it it did have some heavy hitters in it and it was just such a delight to have all these like very well-known actors and but yeah Annette Bening by candlelight is still breathtaking I mean yeah (laughs) yeah there's no bad angles there but she would just hang out during the day, you know, <laughs> sort That's of awesome. like, you know, you know, she just, you know, she was so lovely. And, and uh, I'd done something else with her. So I, I'm fond of her. She's just the nicest person. You seem to have like films that you do repeat a lot of cast. You, I, I, <laughs> you have, I, I was looking through that because <laughs> she was in the women. Right. And then and the seagull. Yeah. But that but. I forget. I kept looking. I'm like, wow, she worked with like Al Pacino. You'd had twice. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, how do you, are you choosing film just based yeah, on? <laughs> I, well, no, it, part of it is through the director. So the Al Pacino thing was, um, Jamie Foley, mm-hmm. uh, which one did we do first? Did we do Glengarry? Glengarry first? was 92 remember. and City Hall was 96. But we have one other one. It was we did three movies, and and Jamie didn't do City Hall, but Jamie oh. and I did 
Glengarry and we did um, Two Bits, this little film in Philadelphia about uh, a movie theater. I tried uh, to I tried to watch that. I didn't have time. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a cute film. I mean, and Al plays this this uh, great old grandfather in it and stuff. It's sweet. It's not it's not a big film. It was just a sweet project. But I think we one came one was before the other. But the the so it carried through the Al thing. And then just by coincidence, uh, Harold Becker hired me to do City Hall, and Al was in it. So. He was like, hey, <laughs> you know, so, I, that was just a coincidence. But we did do two two back to back in there. Oh, that's and then funny. the third was a few years later. I but, uh, yeah, I've had there's been a few of the same actors in a lot of this stuff and, and repeat directors. I have a lot of repeat directors. And you too. have well, you have repeat DPs also. You worked with Barry Sonnenfeld yeah. a couple of times and Dante. Well, or... yeah, that was our whole our whole gang in the beginning. We, we did all of us came from all the same places you know we Barry did after school specials then we did raising Arizona blood simple but we also did a ton of movies of the week together um and then uh the same producer Mark Silverman we did a lot of movies of the week I mean we all were in this gang in New York running around like crazy there was so much work and then uh I never worked with Barry as a director though mm. I uh and you worked with decorators a lot at the same like yeah. like three or four times and then and then you threw them aside and then like <laughs> <laughs> no you know uh, luckily i've ended up with some of the best decorators have. around oh my and, gosh yes and what ends up more often than not is i would keep them forever but someone else grabs them on something and we get out of a cycle you know you know the drill no, I, mean, I know you, you worked at the same show for a long you know you get into it and everyone is just so fond of each other and then the you know next one it's like well i already took this other job and whatever yeah. so do you um, do you have a do you have a specific thing that you look for in decorators when you when you go to like uh, hire a new one yeah i think um i could say the overriding personality trait of all the decorators I work with is they're very quick on their feet mm. and they're very resourceful. Um, they don't tend to dwell on something if they can't get something or, can't, you know, there's none of the sort of, well, you know, it's, it's very much uh, everyone just sort of figures it out and I rely on them to figure it out because I've got other things to figure yeah. out. So you got enough to there'll do. always be, yeah, but there'll always be like a good second choice or a good like, well, you know, the, it's just always like constantly um, keeping the motion going and not sitting back like, you know, um, so and, and they're all nice, nice yeah. people I've worked with. You want to, <laughs> you definitely, you want to find someone you want to spend time with. Cause we're gonna... Well, I think for a designer, especially a decorator, you spend so much time together. You, you end up most, you end up being friends, you know, you yeah. end up being social friends you know so i think it's it's got to be a nice match where um you feel you are friends i like a designer who daytime drinks (laughs) (laughs) i 
I like designers at daytime drink too. I wish I could because, but I wouldn't. I I would be like the sloppy drunk showing back up to the office. But believe me, after five, I'm with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, believe me, my buyer, one of my buyers and I were constantly trying to find a three p.m. happy hour in L.A. Not that we could get to it, but it's like our dream to be like, oh my god, three p.m. We're off. We could go to happy hour. <laughs> I know you'd probably have to hit some weird, weird hotel. Yeah, like, in yeah, the valley, not. you know. <laughs> Some I think it's a road. full <laughs> it's a full price drink at 3 p.m. and we're not looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you definitely gotta you gotta like who you work with. That's, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you find choo- when you choose films is that the overriding uh, thread too of like, well, who's doing it and everything, and then, or is it more script based or? It depends. Sometimes it's money. You know, I need the it's money. money. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, money. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. most of the time, it's the people involved because the script can always evolve. So I tend to take my cue as to who the director is mm-hmm. and then work back from there because I, I know that, um, I mean, if the script is great, that's great. If it needs work, I know that if there's a great director, even if it's a young director who really has a lot of a lot of stuff going on like Lorraine Scafari on Hustlers she the minute I met her I knew she's got it you know so I was just going to follow her anywhere you know she, oh, she just really could keep everything going and she wrote the script too so it was sort of a nice dance when she would find places that we liked or something would happen she'd go oh, I'll, I'll just rewrite that <laughs> you know, so. oh my god but how I, nice I, I, yeah. <laughs> no I always take my cue from who the director is for sure that's all and did you in, so you enjoyed Hustlers I mean I just watched it I was like oh mm-hmm. this was really good I really liked it <laughs> <laughs> it's neat isn't it a fun movie it it's, is it's and like it's crazy. not um I actually thought it was gonna be um, I thought they were going to be more evil or something. It's sort of, it's lighter yeah. and it, and, and it's, it's a good story of like why people really do things. Not everybody's evil. Well, yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of the innocence of how do we get ourselves into this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> because there's, there's survivors and they had to figure out something, but they were also women that were so tired of being cheapened. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that it was, it was just the combination of all that. I think once they were in it, it was like, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so we got a little greedy. I think that was what Lorraine, <laughs> yeah, what Lorraine did really well was just the sense of humor of, whoops, we're in it now, you know. Is Scores um, still around? Did you go there? No, Scores. Scores is gone? Unless they opened up, who knows what's opened up any time the past year. But no, Scores went, went under after all that i think and i don't know if a lot of it was because of the scandal like they had to sell i'm not sure but Mm. it was also in the part of it was midtown and the the rent might have become too valuable Mm. at that point too i'm not sure i mean um i know know, i know scene did go down i know of scores because i'm a huge howard stern fan so i i've heard about scores for years I've never, I've never seen, I've never like looked it up or seen if there's, you know, what yeah. it looked like or anything. So I, I have no idea. I'm assuming that you did research of, of uh, strip clubs and everything, but that back wall, that's all, that's mm-hmm. you, right? You designed, is that a set? That scores was a set. 
or was it a location? The LED set, the yeah. LED wall on stage, yeah. that was in the existing club we shot in, which is oh. great. That's oh one God. of the reasons we chose the club. The original scores was not as glamorous mm. as our club turned out to be. And that was sort of, that was something that we batted around for a while. The original scores was kind of cheesy yeah. and very kind of 90s fake plants and, Ugh. you know, fake palms kind of thing and dark wood. I'm and, just glad you didn't throw any but, rope light in there because when I yeah, <laughs> luckily, luckily there was a DP who didn't keep asking for rope light. Oh, thank God. Todd, Todd was wonderful. Um, that's my other big problem is DPs that like rope light. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Todd, Todd, um, Todd and Lorene and I, we, we really, I think we, we made a decision early on that I'm sorry, you're going to hear me just putting my shoes on. Mm. We heard a, um, we made a decision early on that, we felt it had to have the glamour of being at the height of what they were mm-hmm. and then bringing it down from there. And if it were probably as sort of not attractive as scores was, um, it didn't give them that much room to fall, you know? Right. So we per- perked up the whole idea of it as much as we could. And on top of that, even the dancing, everything was just the height of what what it could be for these women you right know, like the best dancers but backstage was still you know this this uh, not so glamorous place for sure but that uh, to me the backstage scenes of them all like in their makeup ch- like that's that's mm-hmm. those are the best kind of of like the camaraderie or non-camaraderie that they had yeah. or where they they were real and who who they really yeah. were instead of pretending, but, um, and I I'm assuming you had to work with the DP to do the color palettes because it feel there was a very coldness in some of it, and then warm and yeah. and um, I'm assuming that was a yeah discussion. we Todd and I definitely had to plan all those moments because the interviews their ways of life and and. We not only with his lighting and and what we wanted out of the colors, but Lorreen wanted a progression of of sorts. And what was that? You know, our job was to help her figure out the progression of style. You know, mm-hmm. and we all just came up with this idea that in their real life things started losing color, um, and the club mm-hmm. started getting less colorful. Yeah. So that sort of played out well for us because then the interviews became very stark and sort of sad. Well, yeah, her, um, I, I can't think of her name, but when they, the, the, um, is it the times, the time, the New York times, uh, reporter is interviewing that chick. Oh, Julia Stiles. Yeah. When she's interviewing her. Another repeat actor I've worked with three times. Yes. When she's talking to her and she's, you know, crying and she's upset, you can feel the cold. I I paid attention a lot to the coldness around her and how even like her set or her apartment was dressed and how like she tried to keep everything sort of perfect and clean and yeah, yeah, yeah it was really well done. And conveying it was fun, that. that one. Nice job. Yeah, really well done. And there we had absolute respect for the onsets. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we had a wonderful crew and everyone. It was it was one of those uh, 
by the end of it, you're like, wow, this is what it's supposed to be like. Oh, yeah. I like those. You're like, oh, that was so good. (laughs) (laughs) It was also a group of producers I'd already done Mona Lisa and Made in Manhattan with. So I knew knew walking in it was going to be a very protected situation for all of us. So it kind of set everyone on a good good way you know and they're wonderful producers and it's i don't i don't know if it's the same producers but you're doing another j-lo film or you've completed it <laughs> yeah we just finished we just finished just before uh, the the breakdown of the world um yeah. right after hustlers i think there was about a month or so and then marry me started up <laughs> which is a romantic comedy completely different and um, we shot that all in New York, but that's that's really about um, a school teacher, Owen Wilson, and uh, a rock star, and the sort of the blossoming of their romantic relationship. And um, it's very sweet. It's a really nice film. Well, I, and, uh, I think the world needs a rom com right now. So I'm <laughs> yeah, it's a great romantic comedy, and it's it's. It's got a lot of edginess to it, and there's a lot of great musical numbers, so I got to do a lot of really nice big rock and roll sets, which is always fun. Are you friends, so, with, are um, you friends with J-Lo now? I mean, it's like three movies. <laughs> Four. Four? Oh, no, three. Three with Jennifer. Three with Jennifer. Um, no, I mean, you know, we know who each other are, but she, you know, and rightly so, she, she's, she's extremely busy. professional. <laughs> And she comes on set. She just really is such a great person to have on the set. She has a good vibe. She does her work. She knows her lines, she, you know. And so everyone just kind of steps back and lets her do her thing because she, no one's, you know, she's, she doesn't really um, – it's not that she doesn't want to be friends with everyone. She just wants to – it's business. She right. wants to get it done. Yeah. And But she's very nice and she's very respectful she hangs out on the set and just, you know, does her thing. And, uh, you know, she definitely, you know, we know who each other are, but it's not yeah. a friendship or anything. You know, it's a, just a respectful relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like it's such a smaller world in New York City, actually, of like people working together or the movies that are made there. And I'm like, I, I, often wonder even more lately doing this and talking to more designers and decorators from New York if I should have gone to New York because it was less you know like there was probably less people and then with LA there's probably more people I probably would have done better there (laughs) (laughs) yeah but LA's having its own renaissance with uh stage work and stuff I think yeah, and I you think know. we, I think movies will come back now. I think I don't know. We haven't yeah. movies haven't been big here in, a, in either. I mean, Marvel. That's all. I mean, uh, it's just big films, yeah. and then maybe a little one here and there. But yeah, most of your films since you, I mean, you said you started out being on the road a lot, but you're in New York City, and films like like Harry Met Sally and City Hall and Hitch and Hustlers like they're real like New York City type films. Does having New York as a character sometimes limit you as a designer? No, no. never. Okay, okay. 
I mean, it's. I think that the the beauty of the city is that whenever you're starting a new project, it's like, wow, you know, this is a part of New York I've never seen, you know. Oh, that's so fantastic. I I always feel like there's there's just more to be had, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. I think if any, if anything, the thing to watch out for is, you know, it, in L.A. we go through the same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that house, you know, we've shot ten, there ten times. They'll let us in. Yeah. You know, so yes. you have to keep trying to fight against that sometimes. But sometimes those places are good, you know. Um, but I always feel like there's movement here. There's always enough going on, you know. I, I didn't realize because I rewatched Ghost this week. And uh-huh. I, Boy, you do your homework. <laughs> well, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I've basically seen everything. I had, I just rewatched a lot of your movies, <laughs> but, um, well, I hadn't seen ghosts in so long. And I feel like when ghosts came out, I watched it so many times. Like that was like the movie yeah. like you watched over and over, but yeah. not until now did I realize you shot a lot of it in LA, right? <laughs> we um, I've I've been through so many different uh, I don't know what the word would be, but along the way, like for a long time, it was like, oh, you've got to shoot non-union. Then the drill was, no, 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 you have to shoot most of it in L.A. because it's it's cheaper here. Um, it's a studio movie; they want to pay their overhead. Right. It, and then it'd be like, but it's all about New York. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to do four days in New York. Then there was the, well, we're going to Toronto. <laughs> so oh it's like God. all these phases of one's career and you're like, oh my God, can't you just shoot the stupid thing in New York? I know. <laughs> you know? So, I know. So what ended up happening was all those years of having to invent New York and these cities that were very un-New York, um, Ghost was the beginning of still having to be split it because um it, it was just a big paramount picture and they were like nah you gotta shoot it on the lot and build a lot of sets so um and they had the money so there was no problem in the end because they whatever i needed i got mm-hmm. um but it ended up i think what we were able to do was we did spend quite a bit of time in new york because then you shot longer you shot 14 15 weeks Right. I mean, you just kept shooting. So um, we were in New York for quite a few weeks, and we built some sets here. But the main sets, once we got going, part of it, too, was, you know, Demi had just had a baby, and, um, mm. you know, she was such a big star then, and she didn't want to drag her kid all over the place, you know. Right. So, and Jerry Zucker, that whole gang, they were L.A.-based, so... They were like, I think we want to be home. <laughs> well, the only, so it worked out. There was only only when I saw there's like that Spring Street Bank or whatever that I've, I've shot at a million times. And like, I was like, oh, wait, wait a minute. That's L.A. And then I think that's L.A. Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, my whole life. Like, yeah. what a great job. <laughs> so, well, it was the same when Harry met Sally. We had to start. They wanted to shoot almost all of when Harry met Sally in L.A. Oh my and god. To, LA <laughs> to scout. I think I was scouting in LA for about I don't know, five, six weeks, showing Rob anything I could find that looked like New York. And I just looked at him and I said, Rob, 
we have to shoot this movie in New York. Yeah. It's going to look like a piece of junk, you know? Yeah. So Rob went to the studio and he just said, guys, we have, this is a big New York romantic comedy. We got to go to New York. So we, at that point, had already started building um, the Brownstone apartment mm. and with the wagon wheel coffee table. Uh-huh. And so we all decided, because I think there was maybe two weeks of shooting in that set. So, oh, and Barry shot that, yeah. So we all decided we were going to finish that set, spend the time starting in L.A., and give me a little lead time then to go and find the rest of the film. The in location. So I was a little bit ahead of them. Yeah. And um, then we just moved the whole picture to New York. And there's so many New York locations in there that – I mean, the bookstore or the museum, like, you, yeah. there's nothing that's so New York. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. that they yeah. wouldn't want that character to be real there. That's crazy. Well, back then, I think, you know, stars were so big and made so much money yeah. that I think the thought a lot of times was, we already have the big stars. They're going to watch it anyway. Yeah. And, you know, that made sense. But part of it was also... Yeah, but don't you guys want it to be a good movie? Yeah. You know, so. Well, the deli so, scene. I, think, I mean, what know, were you going to do? The know. deli scene at Canters? I mean, what the hell? <laughs> well, that, then what we ended up doing was we we tailored that to scene. New York. To lo- we tailored as we went to locations we found. Oh, yeah. So that scene evolved out of... Um, but part of it was all of it. We, we had so, so much fun scouting because we all like to eat. <laughs> so we all would be eating everywhere and thinking, maybe we should shoot a scene here, you know, if we like the food somewhere. Yeah. So it, it ended up being a lot of fun because then we just kind of basically uh, worked it out. So that, uh, you know, let's, well, we like the sandwich. Let's shoot a cast, yeah. you know. <laughs> crew, crew meals. I, uh, I, I rewatched When Harry Met Sally this week, too, but um, they, I, I had forgotten how funny it was. And I also, yeah. I mean, I, know, I knew that it spanned time, and now when I look back at that time, I'm like, wow, you got to do a little bit of the 70s, and then this, like, eight, like 80s New York, which was, you know, contemporary at the time, but now you look at it and you're like, wow. That's yeah. like it's yeah. so eighties. It's so perfect. Yeah, I know her hair. Gloria okay. Gresham who did the costumes. I mean, I just had to laugh every time Meg walked on the set. We were like, "Oh my god, that hair!" <laughs> I know. And it and even I was looking design wise. Like she was always there was always something like bright and sunny about her. Kind of like the, yeah. the yellow car. Or I think you yeah. and you had like her apartment in yellow, and it's such like a character infused into the set. I, I yeah, we, I think we all we all decided early on that she just had to be borderline goody two shoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. She just had to be so sweet and innocent. Um, you know, and that college girl who picks up this clown, yeah, spits cherries. <laughs> Or grape seeds, whatever it was. But even like his, when they're the side by side in the beds, that's like my favorite because you're like, oh, it's that's her bedding. Like it's yeah. it's so hard sometimes <laughs> to pick bedding. I feel because yeah. you're like, well, I realistically always want to go to like where where would they shop? 
let's go that route first yeah, and yeah. see what options are. And then it's like, well, that's not good. And then let's go for something interesting. And But his his side being like all monotone and then hers being like girly and everything. It's just, it's so great. It's such a perfect I also scene. think it was like when, when uh, we were, because the bed was so important for that. Yeah. I said, I think she just, she can't make a match. That's her problem. Too. So she goes and gets like April Cornell, like curtains and pants. Yeah. Like, Does the blue go with the yellow duvet cover? Does it, you know? So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. The pattern and the, and the flowers that she's got going on. It's awesome. It's so great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd forgotten how good that movie was and I f- had forgotten that I owned it, which, which was nice. I saved, <laughs> saved some money streaming <laughs> it, but, copy. <laughs> uh, at least I had a DVD. It was like, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one of your movies that I own is Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, yeah. which was like, yeah. I did, so did you see the play before you designed it? Yeah. But, you know, it's so funny. We, um, I mean, you also, I I saw the play, I read the play, and then I read the script. And the script started to move a little bit away. Mm. But then Jamie, we had had a few logistical problems. You know, in the original story, um, they have to keep trudging through snow. So the salesman, their big obstacle is relentless snow. And oh. we were shooting it over the summer. So <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, he's such a funny guy, Jamie Foley. So Jamie, I think there were like three things I said. Ask David Mammon if we could change this or change that or whatever. And um, Jamie said, I can't ask him to change this. intimidated with that too i feel like i don't yeah, know yeah. i don't know if i could ever i don't know david mammon is i feel intimidating i don't know well you know so i had done a long time ago i did a set at a little off-roadway theater called ensemble studio theater which is quite a famous place back then all original plays really great place and a lot of people sort of came out of that family this guy kurt dempster ran it and i had to do a david mammon piece for what was then called the marathon and greg moser was the you know the epitome aficionado director for david mamet and their best friends was the director of it so the, in the play it was about guys sitting around a wood stove in vermont and i literally had to bring chairs to audition because david mamet had written squeaks in between these guys sitting on their chairs. Oh, wow. So the squeaks were written into the dialogue. So oh, wow. I, just, I had the poor, poor prop person. I said, grab every chair out of the basement, grab every chair down at New York Shakespeare, whatever, 
we lined up, had to be 30 chairs, and Greg sat in each one of them to hear the squeaks. <laughs> <laughs> and he picked, it was like it was like a chorus, you know, like, yeah. hey, the high squeak, the low squeak. <laughs> the auditioning chairs. You never know. You never know what yeah. you're going to audition yeah, sometimes on set. You never know what's going to hit you. <laughs> God, uh, did you find one though that works? Obviously. <laughs> oh yeah, there had to be. I think there had to be ten of them or so. So oh, wow. we found, we found enough. Um, <laughs> did you did you have fun on Big Larry again, Ross? I mean, it seems. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh my God, that cast. I mean. Well, yeah. You know, aside from my my butt, I follow around Al Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Jack Lemmon. God, Jack no. Lemmon is phenomenal in that. He's phenomenal. Yeah, he's so good it, in it. it. Everyone, Ed Harris, the whole cast, and they were all favored nations. So everyone just was so cordial to each other. Mm. And um, it was a really interesting design project for me because every one of those actors was so top of the line. Yeah, you knew that they were going to sit at their desk go through everything yeah you know they they were like a great stage actor they were gonna look at pens they were gonna look at what kind of paper they write on <laughs> so it was intense because we really had to be sure i mean it was one of the only times on a film where i asked jamie i said you know i think i have to sit with each one of these actors really talk about their stuff and he agreed and I really got a chance once I dressed it to a certain point, you know, one would show up and we'd talk it through and then the next and whatever. And it was in depth. I mean, you know, Al wanted locks on his drawers certain ways and it was a lot of fun. It was really much more like doing theater. No, oh, that's fantastic. On that set. Yeah. Cause I do feel sometimes there really should be more conversation between the actors and the design because I don't, I mean, they're creating this. I know that we come on a lot suit like earlier than they do, but you know, they're, mm-hmm. they, they are the character as much as we're creating the character environment. Like they have to intertwine. So I always, I do feel that there should be more interaction, but the times that I have interacted, I've gotten burned. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, I think that's part of the problem is so then you don't want to do it anymore. want to save us from that, you know, where the actors get a little, I've had actors be so out of control yeah, and so not on the money. Yeah. Things that they thought it, their character would have yeah, that I, I regretted asking at yes. certain points because then I realized like, in Glengarry, those guys were such pros, and they all shared an office. So I don't think they felt that they were asking for anything that was different than someone else would be asking for. Right. Where sometimes if you get the actors involved, they almost are forgetting about all the other actors and sort of like, well, I want my bedding to be this and I want, you know, whatever. And a lot of times it's more personal preference of what they feel good in or a style they like. Yeah. And it might not have anything to do with the rest, really what the story is about. There's a couple things in, in that set, like there's the empty desk or there's the um, like inspirational quotes for salesmen that are up on yeah. the walls. Yes. Was that, yes. Is that scripted or is that just part of the design that you inputted? I think 
I think, well, the empty desk is, you have to know people have been fired um, mm-hmm. or done away with. And then um, I think in the original script, maybe there were one or two, maybe there was reference in one part in the beginning about uh, inspirational posters. Mm. And, you know, that was that. Was that. I like and them. so we had to come up with clever stuff, but it, it also had to be cheesy. It had, to, you know, these guys sold steak knives, you know, it yeah. had to be cheesy stuff so it i can't remember who did the graphics on that but um and that was when the graphics were a lot still a lot hand done you know well that's it looks like it's like printed out of like a dos printer it's like perfect yeah it's like oh this is they had it in the office they printed it it was like everybody you know print this out to inspiration on a friday meeting or something and then they just kept it up it's just perfect yeah yeah oh yeah um, let me see. I, can I ask you about Raising Arizona? Or are you like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to escape Raising Arizona because I've seen it a million times and, <laughs> um, and I just, I had twins. So, um, oh, <laughs> you did? <laughs> seeing that bed now is like, oh, if only they would sleep. I can't even, I, I had them sleep together one night. And then they were like kicking yeah. each other. So the the scene to me is yeah, so, so funny. funny now to see like five kids, babies sleeping in one bed. Harry, Larry, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> um, did That's you funny. was so wait? So you were in Arizona for that? Was the house yeah. was that house real? Or was it a set? It was half and half. Okay. So the house was. This is for. Scottsdale Phoenix really became what it is now. So it was still a little lost in the 50s, 60s. And that house was actually a house on a golf course mm-hmm. that was shut shut down. I think it, they thought they were going to turn it into a clubhouse or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the history, but it almost looked like a restaurant on the outside. And so when you enter the house, the first floor living room was real. And that whole looking up once you went upstairs it was all set so those because the ceilings were so high that's why i was like i think this is a location or just an ex you know extragen like exaggerated set it seemed like the ceilings were so high and then you have the beautiful wallpaper on there (laughs) the feathers or whatever i can't remember what it was that was all there believe me i went to an interior design place and looked at their wallpaper books and oh my god this is perfect oh my god <laughs> um i think we oversized stuff a bit because we were all still pretty green and there's so many camera moves i know the hallway we made a little bit extra wide because of the way we had to move the camera and the amount mm-hmm. of um running that that um nick had to do to grab the baby the height i the height in the nursery it was only 10 feet, but I could be wrong. Maybe it was 12. But a lot of it was was for um, camera moves yeah. and even coming up to the window and then down and, or coming from the window and she screams. Yeah. I think we weren't, we weren't prepared to wait for a lot of ceiling pieces in and out too because the camera was moving constantly. You know, yeah, the camera, you on. see the ceiling a lot in that nursery which from baby point of view and such, but yeah. And then you have that great cloud wallpaper with the reverse on the shades, which I think is so perfectly (laughs) eighties. Arizona. (laughs) 
that to me is I was like that is the perfect eighties uh nursery uh, <laughs> thing that you would have. It's just like, yeah. amazing. <laughs> and then was the trailer I mean obviously I the That was a set. set. Yeah. Yeah, um, so the inside was a set, and then we found this great lonely place to set up the trailer park, which um, I I sort of came, I said, you know, it's not a real trailer park, it's like the the has-beens have been parked off to the side, you know. It's really just them. And then, did you shot, you shot in a jail in in Arizona? (laughs) I've shot. Yeah, we shot at the state. Yeah, we shot at the state penitentiary, which is one of the, you know. Oh wow. Sort of more more angry ones. Um, I don't know how we got it. I think the governor let us in, but it was it was pretty tough. But but we got through it, and I think I think the inmates were just sort of tickled about the idea, you know, because a lot of them were still in their cells when we were shooting, which can't happen anymore. Oh wow. You'd have to clear it out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the only time I've shot in a real gel, the wing was empty, and we got to shoot in it. Yeah. Yeah, and even that was like, whoa, this is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, we shoot in real jails all the time in New York, but there's wings that are put aside for us for shooting. But they're definitely occupied, and you see prisoners walking around and whatever. Um, But I I mean, Raising Arizona's got to be – a million people's favorite movie so (laughs) it's just so it never gets old and i feel like every time i watch it i see something different i mean yeah running through the stores or you know even yeah it was just holly holly was i mean i just her take on that wife mother it's so weird it was like every day on the set you would look at holly going where did that come from (laughs) that voice i mean her voice is is so recognizable move to the right turn move to the left (laughs) so great it's such a great movie do you rewatch any of your movies um sometimes if my if my family's watching it i'll watch it yeah you know if it happens to be on or something um, I, I tend to watch the later, the ones that I've just finished mm. a few times just to be sure I did, did everything okay. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, but, but, uh, the older ones, not, not too much. Oh my God. I, I feel like I watch your movies all the time. Are you, are you watching anything now that's like inspiring? Or I've seen um, any films, or like old films, or like anything. Well, I saw the new Emma, which I loved. Oh, um, good. It's oh, the sets are beautiful, mm. and it's definitely got my vote. If it's on, it's just beautiful. So I like that a lot. And then, um, uh, the Claire Blanchett, the series on oh. Gloria Steinem and stuff. Phenomenal. I watched. I, I was. I, I thought it was a little having. I'm old enough to live through all that and have seen Gloria Steinem at rallies or whatever. And I thought they played it a little too um, stereotyped. So mm. it bothered me as a woman of the 60s, 70s who marched and took over buildings and stuff that I, I thought they lost a little bit of the, um, everyone wasn't like Gloria Steinem was not that kind of 
hi, my name's Gloria. You know, right. I, I, there are parts of it that just personally bothered me, but I thought that um, it was well done for sure. See, I, I'm so glad to hear that because I, it made me feel bad kind of as a woman that I don't know enough of that history. So I sort yeah. of, I sort of liked it and then, and then have gotten more into like, I'm reading her book or like, you know, looking into, to who these women really were. So for me, it's sort yeah. of opened it up, but it's, that's good to hear that it's not exactly portrayed right because there was something about her using her feminism to, uh, like the way that you shouldn't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I just remember my reflection on her as a young woman was seeing this absolutely beautiful woman, but she made nothing of it. Mm. it. It just, it was almost sort of, she just ignored it, but maybe they did research that showed other stuff that I never knew about her personal life, you know, so. Uh, at the at the end of the interview, I continued to talk to Jane a little bit longer and asked her for some advice on how to be a working mom and juggle this industry. And she gave some great pointers and some great advice and basically consistency. Having consistent and solid care for your kids and yourself. I mean, the dependability of someone that you can trust and um, so she was very kind to talk to me about that. And um, I'm, I'm taking your advice, Jane. So thank you for that. I really like to just thank her for this time. It was, it was precious for me. And um, I hope I didn't dork out too much. <laughs> like, uh, I just was so excited. I was so excited to talk to her. I hope you got an earful. I'm Kim Wanup for Decorating Pages. I want to thank everybody for listening and continuing to email me uh, questions here and there. That's really appreciative. I hope I'm getting back to you uh, as fast as I can. And I hope uh, you're getting answers through all of these wonderful interviews I've been able to put out throughout this pandemic. I hope I've been able to keep you entertained. If you have a chance, just clickety-click-click-click those little five stars or write a little review. Just tell me how much you love me. Thanks. How is it August already and you don't have a stogie floaty? Come on, float in style. Stogie floaty luxury pool float. Available now on Amazon, Etsy, and stogiefloaty.com.